In Jesus' name we pray. Father God, we just continue, Lord, to commit this time into your hands. This is all about you, Lord. I pray, Lord, Father God, that your presence shall be with us, shall continue to guide, lead, and minister unto us, Lord. We give all praise, honor, and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There was a man who decided that he and his wife would go for a short trip to Jerusalem. Now the problem was his wife was an ever-nagging wife, as some wives are. And so this gentleman and his nagging wife landed up in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, while in Jerusalem, she died. The undertaker came onto the scene and he said, we can ship the body back to the U.S. Because these people had come from the U.S. So he said, we can ship the body back to the U.S. It will cost you 5,000 U.S. dollars. Or you could choose to have her buried in Jerusalem itself. It would cost you 150 dollars. The man thought for a moment, and he said, no, I'll ship her to the U.S. So the undertaker said, why? It's going to cost you a great deal of money, and a lot of people wouldn't mind being buried in the Holy Land, and it's much cheaper. So the gentleman said, many years back, there was a man who lived here, in this place, in Jerusalem. His name was Jesus Christ. He died. They buried him. But the third day he rose again. I just can't take that chance. second I have the slide okay good now that I have your attention let's move on now that's a brain and neuroscience tells us that the mind of man is somewhere within that organ which is called the brain now we don't know exactly where it is we all know that there is a mind, we have a mind. We all know that we have thought processes. But what we don't know is, where in the brain do these things happen? Where do thoughts originate? Good thoughts, bad thoughts, godly thoughts, evil thoughts. Where exactly in the brain do these things originate? How does the brain actually work? What are the different interconnections which make things possible? What makes me cry when I hear bad news? What makes me laugh when I hear a joke? We know it happens in the brain. What makes me understand that particular point of view? But what we don't know is, and no, no neuroscientist has ever said that he knows it, is exactly how does the brain function. What we know to a very large extent is 
what is the anatomy of the brain? What is the structure of the brain? What are the different parts of the brain? So we know a lot about the structural anatomy of the brain, but what we don't know in terms of science is how the brain functions. But there is something that we as Christian believers know that the way that the world has failed to understand and appreciate. Now what is it that you and I have the privilege of knowing that the world does not know? Jesus Christ has given us the key to operate the mind. You see, the world doesn't know that. The world is confused. The world does not know how to control thoughts in the mind. You will hear a lot of theories. I can't control what's in my mind. That's the theory. But the Bible tells us something entirely different. You can very well control what's there in your mind. And the key to that is what Christ has given you and me. We might not still know the, how the different things in the brain function, but that doesn't matter. We don't need to know that when we are not neurosurgeons. So we are not going to be bothered about that. But what we know is Christ has given us the key to operate the mind in the brain. He's also given us the key to operate our thought processes. Will you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And we will read a passage, 17 to 24. And I shall read this passage from the New Living Translation. Okay, so you have that on the screen. But if you have the New Living Translation, please follow it in your Bibles. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now I want us to focus on verse 23, in three different versions. In the New Living Translation, it reads, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. The same verse in the New International Version states, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. In the King James Version, verse 23 reads, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We'll come back to this. Paul, while writing to Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says something very similar again. And I'll read this from the New King James Version. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In NIV it states, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And the New Living Translation is stated, Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That is the key. You see, that is the key that Christ has given to you and to me. The whole world may be confused. The whole world may have absolutely no idea as to what to do with the brain. And you see, I need to state this uh, as, a, as an Indian, as a proud Indian, I should say this. We have managed to hoodwink the whole world to think that if you practice yoga, you will have control over your mind. And the whole world has listened to us. Except the church, hopefully. Because if there is anybody up here who thinks that yoga is a sign, it's just an exercise, which will help reduce hypertension, which will help do this and help do that, please put that thought away. Yoga has a physical component, but it's always linked with a spiritual component. There is absolutely no yoga without a spiritual component. And you don't want to touch that. Believe me, you don't want to touch that. If your child in school is being told that they need to attend yoga classes, write a letter to the principal. Tell them, go ahead, have the yoga class if you want. But my God does not permit me to allow me or my children to go through these sessions. Because God has told us something entirely different. God said, don't follow the ways of the world. Don't conform yourself to the ways of the world. But you need to be transformed. Your thought process needs to be transformed by the word of God. It's God who's got to do the work in us. He's given us the key. He's told us, I can do it for you. Let me do it. Are we going to allow him? So the key really is simply this. The key to the enigma of the brain is to simply hand over the working of the brain to our Lord Jesus Christ. Allow him to transform your mind. Allow him to run godly thoughts through your mind. Allow him to plant godly principles in your mind. And allow those godly principles to determine the attitudes that you have to follow in your life day after day. Paul tells us, do not copy the behaviors and customs of the world. And this is an instruction that you and I need to follow. The philosophers, the mentors, the gurus of the world have written thousands of books and they are bestsellers. 
on how to live in this world. Reading them and following them simply makes you conform to this world. It's good literature reading, but it simply makes you conform to this world. But the Bible teaches us, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So now you've got to make your choice. Do you want to conform to this world by reading uh, half a dozen good-looking books and good-sounding books? Or are you going to say, no, I'm not going to conform to the world because my Bible tells me, my God tells me, Jesus Christ tells me that I shouldn't conform to this world, but I need to be transformed in my thought process. What am I going to do? The choice is yours. God has given us that freedom to make choices. And you'll have to decide where you want to go. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, in the King James Version, it is written like this. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And in the expanded Bible version or the EXB version, it is elaborated a little better this way. Do not be fooled or deceived or mistaken. You cannot cheat or mock or make a fool of God. People harvest only what they plant and reap what they sow. I have therefore titled today's message as Mind Your Attitude. Mind Your Attitude. Let me give you an example. Suppose there is a farmer who has some land and it's good, fertile land and the farmer wants to plant a plant and he wants to get a harvest. Now the land gives the farmer the choice. The land is not going to decide what should be planted. The land gives the farmer the choice. Whatever the farmer chooses to plant, the land will accept. The land actually doesn't care what you plant into it. So you can have a farmer who has seeds of wheat or seeds of poison ivy. And if he plants wheat, he gets wheat. If he plants poison ivy, he gets poison ivy. And if he plants both, he gets a mixture of wheat and poison ivy. The mind is just like this land. The mind doesn't actually care what you plant into it. You'll have to decide what you're going to plant into it. If you plant negative thoughts, negative ideas, bad values, values that are not generally acceptable, and we'll talk about some of them a little later, you'll end up with a life of negativity and a life of failure. You'll be pessimistic all your life. You'll be grumbling, you'll be murmuring. You're never pleased about anything. But if you choose to plant good thoughts, if you choose to plant godly values, if you choose to plant the word of God in your mind, or if you let God bring in those thoughts and those ideas and those values, and allow them to take root in your mind. The fruit that is born is success and joy and fulfillment. 
You choose. What are you going to plant? We often have to pull out the weeds before our good plants come up. And very often in our minds today, we will have to pull out some weeds before you start putting in the good seed. Now, this afternoon, I'm not going to focus on negative attitudes. Okay, I don't want to go the negative way. So I'm not going to focus on negative attitudes. I'm just going to mention some of them. You can probably add many more to the list that I'm going to mention. Okay, some of the negative attitudes that we have are things like rebellion, or rudeness, or arrogance, or self-centeredness, being critical, refusing to change, gossip, lying. You have a whole variety of things that can happen. If you can recognize any one of these or many more that you know should not be there in you, it's time to pull the weed out. Now we are going to try to identify instead, we are not going to be looking at the negative characteristics, but we are going to focus on a few positive attitudes. What does the Bible tell us? How can we identify some positive attitudes that we can then try to inculcate into our life, that we can then cultivate and say, these are the attitudes that I want. Now, at the beginning of, or the end of last month, when I knew that I would be taking this uh, message this day, I was actually thinking, what am I going to speak on? And then I thought, okay, because I knew from Pastor Lakin that the children's Friday school would not be opening today. It would open next week. It would be back functioning next week. So I said, okay, now I have the young minds over here. I need to take a topic which will apply to them just as much as it will apply to the rest of us. Okay, and so I said... You've got to listen to this one. And this is probably my opportunity to address them because they are the fertile minds. They are the minds of the future. Okay? Next week onwards, we are back to our geriatric group inside here. While the pediatric group will be elsewhere. Okay. So I'm going to mention a few attitudes. But please remember, these are not the only positive attitudes you can cultivate in your life. There are many more, but these will do for a start. Number one, we need to cultivate an attitude of praise. From the beginning of the service, we have been talking about praise. We've got to develop an attitude of praise. We've got to cultivate an attitude of praise. Turn with me to First Chronicles, chapter 16. And let's read verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. And then we'll jump to verse 4. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Verse 4. And he, David, appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. You see, David is one of those people in the Bible who has understood a lot of things about the heart of God. 
for some reason we like to focus on David and Bathsheba. But there's much more to David. And David has understood the heart of God. So he said, I'm going to now appoint a set of people, a set of Levites, whose sole job is to praise God at all times. They are going to be there praising God. Others can do something else. Others can go to war. But these group of Levites are going to be praising God all the time. That's the way he wanted the nation to develop. He said, we need to have an attitude of praise. Things may happen around us all the time. Wars go on. It doesn't matter. Battles go on. But you praise God. You keep praising God all the time. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 25. Then the multitude rose up together against them. That's against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were singing in the prison, feet tight in stocks, hands probably tight, I don't know. Beaten, wounds on their body, but they were praising God. Your circumstance should not determine whether you should praise God or not. Because if you're going to let your circumstance decide whether you should praise God, you will not have an opportunity to praise God. Things happen all around us all the time. Good things, bad things, evil things. Praise God. The praise has got to be from inside. Today in the, in the, in the Pentecostal church, hello and good morning has been replaced by praise the Lord. Which is lip service. It shouldn't be lip service. Praise the Lord should actually be praise the Lord. Because I heard somebody, you know, the other day, not recently, some time back, ask somebody, praise the Lord, brother, how are you? Uh, well, I'm okay. But you know, there was a tragedy at home. Praise God. Okay. What happened? My, my brother met with an accident and died. Praise the Lord. Okay, I guess everything is fine with you. Walks off. The brother thinks, this guy says, praise the Lord, hasn't listened to a sentence that I've said. I've said there's a tragedy in my house. My brother's just met with an accident and died. And all this guy says, every alternate word is praise God, praise the Lord, and he walks away. You see, it hasn't come from inside. It's just lip service. I have to say something, I have to move on. I haven't heard what the other person is saying. That's not the way to praise God. Praising God has got to be from inside. It's got to be part of you. It's got to be in your marrow. It's just got to come up. Your circumstances are not going to put you down. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. There was an old lady, poor, but always praising and glorifying God. 
Her neighbor, an atheist, used to often mock her and make fun of her. One day, this old woman was standing at her window and praying. She was telling God that she had no money to buy food and drink for herself. As usual, she ended her prayer by singing praises to God. And this neighbor had been listening to her praying to God. That afternoon, her doorbell rang. And when the old lady opened the door, she saw no one. But instead, she found a bag of rice, some oil, some vegetables, and a bottle of milk. She immediately started praising and thanking God for her provision. Just then, her neighbor jumped out from behind some bushes and started laughing at her. He said, it was not your God who brought you these things. It was I who did so. I bought them and I brought them. So stop praising your God and start thanking me. The old lady praised God even more and then added, and thank you for making the devil pay for it. <laughs> You've got to find opportunities at any given moment, in any circumstance, to praise God. Number two, attitude of gratitude. The second attitude we need to cultivate is an attitude of gratitude. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. In Job 1, verse 21, what do we read? It's an attitude of gratitude, even when things were going wrong. Because Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Tragedy has just struck him there. He's lost his family. He's lost material possessions. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. But he says, I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to say anything against God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was still thankful for what he, who he was. He was still thankful that he was in the will of God. He was still thankful that he had a God whom he could talk to. He was thankful for the family he had, for the times that he spent with his family. He was thankful for the wealth he had, which is, which is now gone. But he, didn't, he was not going to grumble and mumble and, and curse and criticize and do all those things. Okay, that's an attitude of gratitude. It's very easy to be thankful when everything is going well. You have a good job. Your needs are being met. You have food on your plate and there's money in the bank. It's easy to thank God and easier still to praise God at such times. But the test of your attitude of gratitude is when suddenly the carpet is pulled out from under your feet. Do you still thank God or do you question His existence? Do you try to justify your point of view and demand that God must honor you for your service in the church? I've been serving this church for so many years. 
God, it's just the way you treat me. That's not what Job did. Job did. That's not what he did. He didn't question God there. Now, what about you and I? Your attitude of gratitude is an expression of the magnitude of your faith. If you have faith, you will have an attitude of gratitude. And that's why I said your attitude of gratitude is an expression of the magnitude of your faith. Number three, attitude number three is an attitude of generosity. Number three, an attitude of generosity. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. And I would encourage you to read verses 1 to 18 when you get home, but we will not do that now. Instead, we will just refer to verses 14 and 15. This whole passage talks about the redistribution of land between Abraham and Lot. Okay, remember this whole thing was, the whole land was given to Abraham. And then because of a misunderstanding between the tribesmen of, the herdsmen of Abraham and those of Lot, friction between them, Abraham looked down, looked at his nephew and said, listen guy, let's not have this fight amongst us. You look around and see what you want. You choose your area, I will, what is remaining I will take. Lot looked and he saw that the west, sorry, the east was looking prosperous. So he said, I will take that area. And so he ended up taking the east while Abraham went, moved westwards. Okay? So that, that was the story that you find in, in, in this chapter, Genesis 13. But if you go to 14 and 15, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. God is a giver and he loves giving. God is a giver and he loves giving. Very often we hear that we shouldn't be preaching about prosperity. Can somebody please tell me if God intended that you and I live in poverty? We say that God is our Father. Every bit of wealth is His. I am His Son. And I'm not entitled to prosperity. That flies against reason. Prosperity is what is expected for you and me. Don't look down on prosperity. No, I'm not going to preach a message of prosperity. Okay, it's not about prosperity. But the concept. But there is something that you and I have to do. Prosperity does not come by simply sitting on our sofas. God says, if you obey, I shall bless you. Anytime God has a blessing of prosperity that he has indicated in the Bible, there is a condition behind it. Get the prosperity, but obey the condition. Follow that condition. If you obey, 
I shall make you prosperous. If you do this, this is what you will get. God is looking for obedience. There are only two things which God actually responds to. Number one is faith. Because without faith, God doesn't work for you. Faith is prerequisite. Number two is obedience. Faith and obedience are the only two things that God actually responds to. Beyond this, you can add things, because we know it says in the Bible in different places, he cried and he got his blessing. He wept before the Lord. Hannah wept. All that is there, yes. But without the faith and the obedience, the rest of it is zero. Faith and obedience are the two foundational pillars for God to respond. Then you can raise your voice, you can cry, you can do everything that you want. God is there. But he's already seen your faith and your obedience. Okay, so God, our God is a giving God. He gave us life. We lost it. He sent his son. He gave us life. He's a giving God. He always gives. It doesn't have to be money in the bank, by the way. Okay, that's a very small part of uh, prosperity. The way I live is prosperity. That's what God is interested in. God is interested in you as a whole person. Okay? And since you and I are created in his image, it is natural that you and I should also be givers. Okay? God is the giver. And he said, you are my children, so you also give. Because we have the giving gene. Or we should be having the giving gene. Because if you are a child of the living God, you have the same gene that he has. And he is a giving God. He says, open out. Let me bless you. And he's telling us the same. I've given you something to bless somebody else. What you and I shouldn't be doing is saying, God has blessed me. This is all for myself. And I'm going to keep it for myself and nobody else. God says, I'm giving it to you. Spread it out. Spread it out. You see, some of us have been deceived by the devil in thinking that we need to hold on to everything that God has given us. I've got a bottle here. I can hold on to it. But if I need another bottle, I can't hold on to, to the new bottle. A full bottle. Unless I let this go. I've got to open my hands. God says, I blessed you a little. Your hands are now closed. I've got more to give you. But I can't give you unless you open your hands. What's in your hand? Let it go. God will fill your hands. That's our God. We hold on to what we have. But God says, let it go. My hands are bigger. And I will pour out my blessings upon you. To fill your hands some more. Get fresh blessings every day. That's our God. A father was close to death. And he had two sons and a large plot of land. He called his elder son and said, Son, the only thing I leave for you and your brother is this plot of land. Give what you want to your brother. And keep the rest for yourself. 
A few days later, the father died. The eldest son divided the land into three parts and kept two parts for himself and gave one part to his brother. Now, the brother was unhappy with this arrangement and so he went to court. He went to the judge. Then the judge listened to the whole case and said, so you're just following your dad's instruction, am I right? The elder brother said, yes. My dad said, keep what you want. Uh, sorry, give what you want. And I'm giving what I want. So the judge said, no. What you want is two parts of land. So give those two parts of land to your brother. You see, let's not be greedy. Let's not be greedy. Give. Okay? The biblical principle is give and it shall be given. It is not get and hold fast. Let me give you another illustration. And this is from the river Jordan and the two seas that it pours its waters into. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. If you take a map and look at the River Jordan, you'll see that the River Jordan pours out its water into the Sea of Galilee and then continues and pours out more water into the Dead Sea. What's the difference between these two seas? The Sea of Galilee is a sea which is thriving with fish. And it's, uh, around the Sea of Galilee are small fishing villages. And from the Bible also we... We know that Jesus Christ and the disciples and many other people and a whole bunch of people went fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, where does it get its water from? From the River Jordan. The, sea, the Dead Sea also gets water from the River Jordan. But the Dead Sea does not have any fish. The Dead Sea is dead. There are no fishing villages around the Dead Sea. What's the difference? The River Jordan drains out its water. It receives more water. It allows, it has tributaries. The Sea of Galilee, I'm sorry. The Sea of Galilee has tributaries. And so water goes out and it gets refilled. Water goes out, it gets refilled. The Dead Sea has no tributaries. And no branches. I don't know whether my geographical terms are correct here. Okay, but it has no rivers which flow out from the Dead Sea. And so all the water that enters into the Dead Sea remains there. The only way the water goes away is by evaporation. And so what happens is that Dead Sea is receiving, receiving, receiving and not giving, giving, giving. While the Sea of Galilee is giving, receiving. Giving, receiving. The Sea of Galilee is a living sea. The Dead Sea is a dead sea. If you and I are always in the process of receiving, receiving and receiving, you're going to be dead. You need to have an attitude of generosity. You have received gifts. There is always somebody who needs something. Give. You get more. Give. You get more. You'll reach a stage where you say, before I can even receive, I've got to give it out. Because I've got too much. I can't even keep it anymore. God, can you please slow down a little bit? You're too fast with your blessings. I can't work at your pace. Okay, you need to reach that stage. That's an attitude of generosity. The fourth one is an attitude of victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57. 
The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, Jesus Christ has given us victory. We all know that. But does our daily living show this? By dying on that cross and rising up three days later, Jesus Christ has granted you and me the right to taste ultimate victory. Victory over death. You and I should be living a life of victory if we say that we are born again believers. Death is defeated. Death is the ultimate that can happen to any person. That's defeated. What more have I got to be worried about? Why do I need to walk about with a defeatist attitude? I've got to walk around like a victor. I've got to say that I've, got, I've won the victory. That's it. Well, nothing is going to defeat me. Nothing is really going to bother me. Because I've got the biggest victory of all. Now, if you have got a doubt on that one, that's the problem. If you haven't got Jesus Christ in your life, then you haven't defeated death. And if you haven't defeated death, you've got to be worried about. But if you are saying that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, I've received him, he is Lord and Savior in my life, then you have defeated death. And in that situation, you've just got to be a victor. Somebody who's defeated death is, by default, a victor. Victory is yours and mine. Is that, but is that what we show the world? Sometimes, you look at some of us, you'll think that that person is carrying the whole world in his hands. And yet the following Friday he'll come to church and he'll sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. Okay. The song is, he's got the whole world in his, hand, in, his, in his hands. The song is not, I've got the whole world in my hands. But your walk appears that you have the whole world on your hands. Sometimes we claim to be born again believers. But sometimes when you look at such people, you are forced to ask a question. Is this person a born again believer or a born again sinner? Our life has got to be a testimony of victory. You've got to show an attitude of victory. Develop that attitude of victory. How many, how many of you see Tom and Jerry cartoons? I see. I'm not going to stop seeing. I see. Okay? Tom and Jerry, they are fighting with each other. And suddenly, Tom is chasing Jerry, and suddenly, who comes into that picture? Spike. Okay? Now, you see Tom at that point. Sneaks away. Puts on a, fast, a false mask of humility till he gets out of sight of Spike. The minute Spike is not in the picture, bang, chase Jerry once again. Okay? We don't need to put on any false mask of humility when we come into church. 
Walk boldly. Walk as a victor. Okay. We've got to show it. That's where we need to live. Number five is an attitude of God consciousness. You've got to be conscious. Now I'm going to actually skip this one and move to the next one. You've got to be conscious of God's presence in your life at all times. Everything that you do has got to be about God. You've got to be conscious that God is there with you. When Peter walked on water, he was able to walk when he was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was conscious of Jesus Christ in front of him, he walked on water. But when he became aware, when he became conscious of the water around him, he started sinking. So how do we live our life? Are we God conscious in the way we live our life? Or are we storm conscious? Are we so worried about things around us that we are constantly sinking? Okay, but we need to have an attitude of being God conscious. God is in my life. That's it. Nothing is going to happen to me. I can walk over any storm. I can walk over any problem. I can walk over any situation. Because God is with me. I'll come to the final point. But I need to digress a little bit at this point. Now how many of you listen to televangelists? Okay. The rest of you can close your eyes. Nobody will see who's looking at televangelists. Who, looks, who watches televangelists? Either we've got a very holy church or a very unholy church. I don't know what it is. Okay. So I'm digressing a little bit at this point, but then I'll come back. You see, now many televangelists give powerful messages. Excellent messages. No harm in listening to them. For about 25 minutes in a 30-minute program. But then the last, 20, last five minutes is when they put on their charm and the commercial bit comes in. Okay, then they say, you need to support our ministry, you need to sow a seed, you need to do this, you need to do that. That's the commercial bit which comes in at that point. Now many of us have the habit of immediately flipping channels. Okay, we've listened for 25 minutes, the minute the commercial bit comes in, flip channel. Okay. Now, what are the reasons why we flip channels at that point? Two reasons, actually. One, we do not appreciate this pitch for money. Or number two, we do not want to give money from our purse. So you don't listen to that person. These are the reasons why you do this. Now, why am I telling you all this at this particular point? Why am I digressing? You see, till now, most of you have been listening to me very nicely, laughing at the little jokes that I've made probably approving of some of the things that I have said. But my next point, which is my last point, is definitely not going to win me any friends today. Okay? I'm going to say something that you may not like. You have been warned. So if you wish to flip your channel, you may do so. Okay. So we come to the last attitude that I'm going to talk about, and that is the attitude of fellowship. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, 
but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. What does fellowship involve? It involves an intimate relationship with God and an equally intimate relationship with other believers. Okay, now fellowship is an intimate relationship with God and an equally intimate relationship with other believers, not with the world. Okay? In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 9, we see that God had a desire to walk with Adam and Eve. He had a desire to fellowship with them. Because he came, comes around in the evening and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? He came to meet with them. He came to talk with them, as was what was happening till the apple came into the picture. So God always intended a fellowship to exist between himself and you and me. Okay, he wanted to be in constant communion with us. That's his desire. But then, there is a second part also. How do we fellowship with uh, other believers? Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I'm going to focus on verses 41 to 47. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm reading it from the New King James Version, 41 onwards. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continually, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now if you go to the beginning of Acts 2, between verses 1 and 12, you will see that the people who were there were from different nations, different tribes, different languages, different colors, different communities. Okay? Because at that point when the tongues, when, uh, when the uh, disciples started speaking in tongues, people said, what's this all about? How, co- how come you're hearing them speak in my language? And how come, you know, these are all diverse languages and we, this is the language from my country. You know, all these things are there in Acts uh, 2, right at the beginning. Now let me, that's just a, a little build up that I'm putting in. Let me ask you a question. How many Tamil born-again believers are here. You can raise your hand. Okay? Right. How many Malayali born-again believers are here? How many Igbo born-again believers are here? Okay? How many Yoruba born-again believers are here? How many Konkani born-again believers are here? Okay, I could go on. I know there are other communities I have not touched upon. Okay. Now, I told you I'm not going to have any friends at the end of this part of it. The Bible tells us that when we are born again, we become new creatures and old things pass away. Am I right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 The Bible also tells us in Philippians 3.20 
that when you are born again, your citizenship is in heaven. Am I right? Okay. Now, there was a Nobel Prize winner called Chandrasekhar Raman. I don't know if anybody knows of him. He won a Nobel Prize in physics a long time back, 25 years back. He, he was doing all his work in the U.S., but he's of Indian origin, so he was invited to speak at an Indian university. And when he came, the first thing he said was, he said, if you have called me here because of the work that I've done, thank you for that. But if you have called me because of my origin, let me tell you today, I am no longer an Indian. I am an American. I went to the U.S. at the age of 20. I did all my studies in the U.S. I had all the facilities to do my research in the U.S. All the money that was granted to me to do my research is from the U.S. I am an American citizen. Today, if you are a born-again believer, you are a citizen of heaven. So, you are not a citizen of India, of Tamil Nadu, of Kerala, or any other place. You are not a citizen of Nigeria. That's past. That's the old story. You see why I said I won't have any friends? You see... There is still one attitude which we absolutely need to discard to be called the children of God. And that is we need to break down this wall of regional thinking. I'm going to ask you to, to do something today. And that is, all of you have seen the newcomers who have come in. They are new to our church. I don't know where they are from. It doesn't matter where they are from. The rest of you, the rest of us, when we go out, can we not go through our norm, to our normal trees and walls? You know, we have some normal standard uh, places where, you know, like uh, lions go for uh, drinking water. We all, we, we go to some lapping pools, you know. There's one tree over there for one group of people. There's another tree over here for another group. There's a little wall. We are not going to do that today. We're going to find out who are the newcomers, and we're going to talk to them. We're going to bless them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to make them feel welcome here, that next week they will want to come back here. Can we do that? That's what I'm saying. We need to break down regional thinking. We're running out of time, so I'm going to close right now. You see, God desires your fellowship. Your believer neighbor requires your fellowship. So can we be a true biblical fellowshipper? Okay? I'll come to my last slide. Or, or the, uh, a, few, a couple of slides before. These are the things that we have seen today. And as I said, it's a very small list of positive attitudes that we need to cultivate within each one of us. There are many more. The next slide, please. There are many more that we could have. 
We have got to cultivate all of these attitudes in our life in order to be an actual born-again believer, a child of God, doing what He wants us to do. We need to throw away some of the old attitudes we have and put in new attitudes. Let me close by once again reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, but this time I will read it from the New International Version. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Shall we stand and let's pray. What is your passport? Which country are you from? Heaven. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children and the sons of God. Are you truly led of the Spirit or you are led of the flesh? I want you to bow your head and pray the Lord, please. Holy Spirit, help me. Say, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ. I want my attitude to be Jesus-like. I don't want to be coaching, oh, this is the attitude of my father. I cannot separate myself from it. Say, Lord, please help me to live like you, to walk like you, to think like you. Let my attitude from today be Jesus-like. No longer Nigeria-like. No longer India-like. Let my attitude from today be Jesus-like. Because I am a citizen of heaven. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Somebody is here, you are not born again. You don't have the passport that we are talking of. If you are here, you know you have not yet given your life to Jesus. Your first asset to become a citizen of heaven is to be born again. So you better take that decision before it will be too late. So if you are in that category, please see me after this service. I want to pray with you. Because of our time, we will not be able to do that now. But you know you want to give your life. I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you for today. We give you praise. Thank you for your son you have used to deliver your word. Thank you for change attitude. Thank you because we know now that we are Jesus' children.
And we have to exhibit the attitude of Jesus only. We are not allowed to, add, to exhibit the attitude of any other country, but that of every country only. Now we have for the grace in the name of Jesus. Every of your children that have decided to surrender their life unto you right now, please accept them, wash them with your blood, and save their soul in the name of Jesus. As we go into this week, I pray that the presence of the Lord shall go with us in the name of Jesus. Every one of us, when we appear here next week, we are coming with radiant faces that the Lord has visited us in a new way in the name of Jesus. I decree the presence of the Lord shall go with you this week in the name of Jesus. Everywhere you turn to, you will find favor. Before God, before man, in the name of Jesus. I declare your expectation miraculously granted in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. The grace of God and fellowship, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now forevermore. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we are then that for the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Abundant and grace.